This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. 500,000 lives. The U.S., another milestone dark one when it comes to virus deaths. Death toll accelerated rapidly with the winter surge. Even with vaccines, now might not be the best time to let our guard down, especially with the variants that are out there. Dr. Fauci says over the weekend that it's possible we could still be wearing masks into next year. So we will get into what the next several months of this pandemic could look like. Canada is a nice place, right? Everyone's friendly. But some people there have been victims of COVID shaming. It's gotten really bad. We'll look into the not-so-nice side of our northern neighbors. Are you jealous of people who have gotten the vaccine shot already? You're not alone. It's called vaccine envy. It is real. We start with the grim reality, 500,000 deaths. With us is Dr. Roberts Kim Farley, professor of epidemiology, community health sciences, UCLA. So, doctor, there was a time people thought the death toll would get no higher than 240,000, 250,000. Now we're double that. Exactly right. And uh, that's what probably happened today. In fact, crossing that grim milestone and certainly hearts go out to all those who have had uh, families affected by this. Have we become numb to the numbers? Obviously, if you think about it and we do today, then it hits you. Right. But we're going to get to tomorrow and the next day. And we've passed all these other dark milestones and kept on going. I think it's really important to realize that, uh, you know, these are loved ones that are being lost and that uh, this is a tragic milestone. We need to be doing everything we can to make sure that we really curb what's going on so that we have the time to get to the vaccination we need to go down even further. So in the future, when the autopsy, if you will, is done on this pandemic, where did we go wrong? I think it was really the problem, and if you will, there's three protagonists here. You've got government, you've got schools and businesses, you've got the individuals, all need to play their part. Governments in terms of uh, setting guidelines, monitoring the progress, uh, getting vaccines, and also at highest levels of government, emulating the things that we need to do, like physical distancing and masking. You've got, again, businesses and schools that have to make sure that they're applying the guidelines and uh, ensuring that there's physical distancing within their uh, uh, establishments. And then finally, and I think this is maybe where some of us went wrong, is on the individual level that really has to actually, um, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, wear masks and practice physical distancing. And that, unfortunately, didn't happen in many places. On that last note, have we learned something about maybe the very first time we all, and we use the term lockdown, and it means different things, but the first time we really locked down in in March, um, the streets here were pretty empty. They're not now, but things were different for the first, what, we learned that we could buy maybe a couple months, three months of a public goodwill where people really were going to follow the rules, and then fatigue gets real, and that's not to knock people, but... People try as hard as they can. Some people don't try at all, but some people are trying their hardest, but it's it wears on you. Yes, the pandemic fatigue is a real phenomenon. And also the fact that, uh, again, social isolation exists sometimes when we're having the physical uh, separation so that uh, that's another issue. We have to worry about our mental health as well. I, I think also, uh, and I think you'd agree with this, that, that people just, when you deal with these astronomical numbers, uh, whether it's 200,000, 300,000, 500,000, there does come this, this point at which people just can't fathom it anymore. And, and I was reading, you know, just over the weekend that that number equates to 
more Americans having died from COVID in the past year than the combined combined casualties of World War II, uh, the Vietnam War, and uh, I think it was the Korean War as well, but one other war that we've unfortunately been in over the past century and a half. Those are staggering numbers that people just can't get their 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 head around. Very well said. And I think that what's happening is that, as you may recall, at the very beginning, uh, New York had its uh, uh, major surge. And I think people then realized, my goodness, I am losing loved ones and friends to this disease. And in a sense, recently, we've had our New York moment here in Los Angeles with the tremendous surge that occurred in California and LA. I think when that uh, surge type of situation happens and people actually see people that they know coming down with severe disease or even dying, that also helps us uh, suddenly be a little bit more uh, cognizant and paying a little bit more attention to these numbers. Dr. Robert Kim Farley, Professor of Epidemiology, Community Health Sciences at UCLA. Dr. Anthony Fauci says it is possible Americans will still need to wear masks into 2022. But vaccines are out there, and there are studies showing that they're working. Deaths, cases, hospitalizations, they're all declining. So can we ease up? Dr. Ali Mogdad, professor of health metrics sciences at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, University of Washington. So, doctor, time to get rid of the masks, breathe in the fresh air? Not yet. Unfortunately, this could uh, come back again. And we have seen this before last summer, if you remember, after Memorial Day. So we need to be very careful until everybody has a chance to get the vaccine. Are you concerned about the variants that are going around taking hold uh, as well as public you know, gatherings or private gatherings, people getting together more? It is warmer, so that is part of the good thing because you can go outside and outside is safer. But if you got groups together, then you can still spread it around. Exactly. Outside is safer. But of course, if you have large gathering, you will see a lot of infections again. And the new variants could be more likely to be transmitted. We know some of them are. And also some of them make the vaccine less effective. Let me ask you about that, because I read an interesting uh, column over the weekend in in one of the papers that said essentially that uh, we're being a little bit too uh, upset or, or anxious about these variants because while they, while the vaccines may not be as effective in preventing symptomatic COVID against some of these variants, they still seem to be really right on target for preventing hospitalizations and deaths, even against the variants. That's good news, of course. I mean, we take every good news out there, but it means that simply that some of people could still get the virus and could be transmitting it even if they got the vaccine. So that's why we need to be extra careful until all of us have been vaccinated and we have this kind of herd immunity. When it comes to herd immunity, there are some people out there saying, look, maybe it happens faster and maybe that's part of the decline we're seeing in these cases because so many people got this and then other people didn't even know they had it, but they made it through. And coupled with slow but steady vaccine rollout, we're going to get to herd immunity faster than we thought. That would be a major upside, I guess, if it happens. But is it still a big if? No, that's very dangerous to say that we are not at herd immunity by far in the United States. Let's remember all of us that CDC has zero positive surveys. uh, And then we know how many people have been infected in this country. We are about 20%. 20%. So 80% of us are still susceptible. We haven't reached herd immunity. And now we're rolling out the vaccines. And of course, as we vaccinate more people, we are going to reach that herd immunity, but not in the near future. So then 
comes the question, you know, it's been tough enough getting many people to wear masks now. Uh, how tough is it going to be if Dr. Fauci is right that we may need to wear them into 2022? That's a long way off. No, I mean, that's the biggest problem right now we are facing in public health because the cases are coming down, mortality, hospitalization is coming down. We are so concerned that Americans will stop doing what it takes to maintain that success story. And we've seen it before. So we need to be more vigilant right now since the vaccines are helping us and we need to give vaccines a chance. Let's give science and scientists a chance to take care of this virus by doing our part and wearing a mask until it's safe not to do so. Once we do get through this, do you expect, do you think people will be masking up during flu season or if they do get a cold, they need to run out and get something? Is that the time to put the mask on? Do masks become more prevalent here during during winter? Yeah, I expect that uh, because you know we've seen it this year. You and I, I mean, I personally haven't gotten any cold this year or any flu simply because I'm taking precautions against COVID-19. I have a mom who's old and who's really has heart problems. Of course, I want to protect her. I'll be wearing a mask and I would make sure that everybody who comes near her is wearing a mask. Yes, some of our behaviors will change and we have learned a good lesson during this hard time of COVID-19 that yes, we can protect our elderly by wearing a mask and changing our behaviors in winter. Dr. Ali Mokdad, Professor of Health Metrics Sciences, Institute for Health Metrics Evaluation, University of Washington. Have you ever met a rude Canadian? They have a reputation of being so nice, so friendly, so easygoing. But, 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 maybe the pandemic has brought out a dark side in our neighbors up north. Yeah, they have got coronavirus shaming. It's so prevalent in some provinces. Doctors worry it's driving cases underground. One guy got sick, had to move across the country. Because people were shaming him so bad. Robert Hewish, associate professor at Dollhouse University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, conducting a study on the virus and stigma. So, doctor, what's going on? Part of any sort of public health policy with a pandemic going back thousands of years is, is stigma. And that's something that goes back to biblical times, you know, when you would, uh, you, you, the book of Leviticus about shaming people out of villages. And we see that uh, again throughout history. So in, in Canada, it's actually been a very diverse experience from coast to coast. In uh, the city of Vancouver, there has been a real serious increase in the spike of racially motivated crimes that have taken place there, uh, mostly against uh, people from Asia or people who appear to be of Asian descent. So uh, here in uh, the other side of Canada, on the Atlantic coast in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, Nova Scotia boasts some of the best COVID uh, results anywhere in the world outside of the, the South Pacific. And we've seen that uh, as the numbers have stayed low, some people are coming forward and saying, hey, I got called out. I got harassed in a uh, parking lot because uh, somebody thought I was from outer province or I appeared to be uh, Asian. And then when the, uh, the the universities came back in in September, uh, there was a few house parties in the main city of Halifax. And that was enough for uh, many people to assume that it was young people who are now spreading COVID-19. You know, I, I guess the thing that uh, a lot of Americans find interesting about the whole thing is perhaps our our false notion and stereotyping of Canadians as as you folks being kind of you know more laid back more maybe placid about this and the whole notion of of shaming covid shaming doesn't sound to Americans very Canadian right and and there's sort of a double side to that coin uh, a loony, for example uh, and and the the double side of that coin is that yes as long as 
there's a sense that everyone is following the rules uh, that there's uh, that the, the, the federal government and the provincial governments are all doing their jobs to try to keep COVID low, then there's a sense of calm. But here, uh, I mean, our numbers were so low in in the Atlantic provinces that there'd be weeks on end when you would only see single digit cases within four provinces. So when suddenly there's one case, there's a sense within the communities to figure out who did it, who was that one person who caused this problem? Who brought and, it in? Yeah. And that's the thing when you've got community cohesion that can quickly flip over to community surveillance. I was going to say it's probably worse in, in, in smaller areas, right? Because if Jeff down the street has it, then suddenly everybody on the street and everybody in the town knows. But if you're going to COVID shame a lot of people in you know New York or Los Angeles, so many people have gotten it from somewhere where they're never going to know where it was or who it was from. I mean, everybody practically know someone mm. that has had COVID. There, there's uh, very much the case that it is now a global phenomenon. Everyone is connected. So here in a very rural area, very uh, low population of, uh, I mean, the, the entire province of Nova Scotia is not even a million people. And we've had just around a thousand cases of COVID all in. The people who have been seemingly likely to, uh, to bring it in are those who have left the province. And that is, yeah, Jeff down the street, who's, who's the, the truck driver, who's got to go to Texas <laughs> yeah. to get vegetables. And that's a real problem because you've got our healthcare workers here and you've got uh, the essential workers, the people who have to work at a province, they come back and they find that they're just not able to engage with their communities. Do Canadians who COVID shame other Canadians feel shame that they're doing that? <laughs> you know, it's a very interesting way of putting it. I'd like to say that they do. Uh, and what we've seen here with the research done in Nova Scotia is that it's not just one group of people who have been called out. And usually it starts with real hurtful remarks on social media. Then maybe there's a news story and then, and then it goes from there. But initially, say March and April, the, the attention was drawn to persons who appear to be of Asian descent then it moved to essential workers. Then it moved over the, the summer months to people who were uh, driving vehicles that have out-of-province uh, plates, especially those for who were running around with American plates. Uh, yeah, you, you're getting nasty notes in your car and, uh, and strange looks in the parking lot. <laughs> and, then it, and then it moved on to the students. And what that tells me is that each group that is being targeted is being targeted because the easy thing to do is, is to blame somebody for your inconvenience. And then there's a correction. You, you can't shame a virus away. You know, if you, if you uh, key somebody's car, it does nothing for the virus. Robert Hewish, Associate Professor, Dollhouse University, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Coming up after this short break, do you have vaccine envy? Well, we just talked about coronavirus shaming up in Canada. Now let's get into another growing phenomenon called vaccine envy. Dr. Mo Gelbarts is Director of Behavioral Health at Torrance Memorial Medical Center in the L.A. area. So, Doctor, I guess we can expect this, right? It's the most coveted thing on the planet. So somebody gets one, and I want mine. It's an interesting term. You know, the vac vaccines are sort of the symbol of hope or the symbol of light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, of course, everybody wants one. And, and I think we have to, you know, on top of all that is especially more so in the beginning when people were getting them, they were posting you know, cards of them getting them and pictures of themselves with their uh, little white cards all filled out and, you know, just added to that sense of, as you said, when am I going to get mine? 
Well, but I wonder, you know, we're a society where we always want to top whatever the next guy gets. So, you know, these are, what, two-shot vaccines, and we're going to now want to get four shots because our neighbor got only two? I don't think that's the case. You know, I think we're, we're, I think the concern more is, in the, again, if we listen to the experts at the uh, CDC level, the concern is, well, wait a second, which one's better? You got the Pfizer and I got the Moderna, but he's getting the Johnson Johnson, which is only X percent. And, you know, I think people will begin struggling over who got the better vaccine, so to speak, more so than, than you know, one or two. And maybe feeling that the one vaccine dose is not quite enough. But, uh, you know, for myself, I think the best uh, advice we've gotten is when it's when it's your turn and you can get it, get whichever one is available. Yeah. And we've given that lesson from a lot of people on the show here saying that exact same thing. Take whatever is offered to you because it's going to offer you protection. And that's a great thing. So when do we start to worry about people who are just jealous versus very envious and start plotting and scheming a way to try and move their place in line closer to where they want to be? Well, unfortunately, I think that's certainly happening already and i think that adds to the uh to the anger and to the disappointment i think people are cutting in line for whatever ways they are doing it i've heard of people who have an you know who know this or that person at a particular facility or they some way that donated money or or whatever it is and you know unfortunately oftentimes the people who are not able to do that are the people who by virtue of the tiers they've been assigned to are the are are the most needy are not the ones who are able, they don't need to cut in line. So the ones who are most needy, you know, uh, are there, but but people are taking their place that don't belong there because they don't have the proper, uh, you know, need at this moment. So I think it's, it, and it brings a lot of anger, you know, I think it points to, for some people, kind of all the unfairness in society that, that people, uh, you know, superimpose upon that. So I think it's actually really, really uh Gonna, could, could be ugly at times. You know, I've heard a lot of negative, negative feelings about people who knew people who cut in line. Yeah, so, so how do you, uh, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, as you said earlier, you can tell, you know, tell somebody, well, you just have to wait your turn. But, you know, what, what do you tell somebody who you might encounter as maybe a patient who says, I don't want to wait my turn. <laughs> you know, everybody else I know has gotten a vaccine. I want one now. Why do I have to be the only person playing by the rules? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think... You know, well, everybody's going to have. This is not a crime per se. So I think, you know, beyond having a discussion, saying, you know, just think about other people, or maybe even reframing it sometimes. Which is what I mean by that is sometimes it, it might you can reframe why you're you're not first in line. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're healthy. You know, there's certain advantages which put you uh, in that in that category of waiting a little bit. But for the most part. You know, I think if we get into judgment and we get into blaming and get into attacking people, we will uh, probably increase our problems. So I'm not sure there's much you can tell people who, who who say that. On the other hand, I think the, a good percentage of people who are doing this cutting in line are not going to be telling everybody. Yeah, I guess you can separate it out, too, right? There are people who wait around for an extra dose outside of the sites or maybe when a pharmacy is closing and hoping that something doesn't go to waste, right? Because that's a different kind of story. You don't want to waste the vaccine. If you can put it in an arm, that's a good thing. Versus maybe I'm going to be mad if I know somebody who's 30-something and got one because they know somebody or they talked their way into getting in line at the clinic when, you know, they're probably months away from, from their turn. Right. C- correct. I mean, I agree with you fully in that. Have we learned more about patients, more about 
trying to get through this? I mean, where are we 11 months into this? Because a lot of people, just to broaden this discussion out for a second here, it was almost like when the vaccines came that that's when people who hadn't hit the wall yet hit the wall because they knew that, oh, the hope is here, but I still have to wait months longer. Right. And I think that adds to that anxiety and it adds to that uncertainty. You know, it's even it's harder you know, when, when somebody has something and, and you really want it, but you can't have it. It drives up that sense of of need, even in, even in something like retail. You know, if you think of some 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 child's dolls that all of a sudden one can't get, then there's huge lines whenever there's 10 of them available at, at, at some store. So and this this is that on steroids. In other words, these are the life changing life life uh, altering kinds of of, of uh, vaccines that are there for us so to to have them out in front of us to see them as available and ready to be taken but not be able to get them it's it's almost like waving a, a steak in front of a person who hasn't eaten for days well and of course this is all being driven by the relative scarcity to date of these vaccines but presumably in the next few months if not sooner that scarcity will shrink and so maybe so will the envy well i think so i think if we get to the place where the you know where, where when you want it, it's kind of like the, the the influenza vaccine when you when you want your vaccine and you can pretty easily get it or once in a while you have to wait a week or two you know i don't think that 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 envy will come in i think the envy is here at the beginning when they've you know the people who are first getting this this uh, quote unquote you know antidote to not quote unquote the antidote to this problem that people are starting to you know want it so badly because you know we've been suffering with this for a year and this is as i said potentially the light at the end of the tunnel. Dr. Mo Gelbert's director of behavioral health, Torrance Memorial Medical Center. Doctor, thanks. If you were self-conscious about your glasses, this is going to make you feel better, maybe. A study from India suggests people who wear glasses could be up to three times less likely to be infected by coronavirus. One way the virus can enter the body is by people touching their eyes, nose, or mouth after coming in contact with it. However, researchers say people who wear glasses rub their eyes less and are therefore at less risk of contracting the virus. Doctors have previously recommended that people who wear contact lenses switch to glasses to avoid potentially passing coronavirus from their hands to their eyes. Find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You know what I'm envious of? Mm. Not vaccines, Canadian bacon. (laughs) 